What's up, Chillinois? It's Cole Preston here, and I'm coming for coming to you from a random cornfield in Illinois. Because why not? Hey, thanks for tuning in to this exciting episode of the Chillinois podcast. We'll be joined by a very exciting guest soon. Really quick, I just wanted to give you a heads up. If you look at our podcasts, the most recent episodes that have been released, you'll notice that, for example, we just did episode number 294 with the Illinois Hemp Growers Association. Then we did 295 with Charles Wu. And then our episode skips to our episode release schedule skips to episode 297, 298, 302. And I believe today's episode is 303. The reason you see that jumping around is because we released most episodes first and foremost on our Patreon page. That's at patreon.com slash Chillinois. This episode is direct to consumer. That's why you're listening to it now. In other words, it's dropping on all platforms. But if you want to support our show, the best ways, one of the best ways to do that is to go to patreon.com slash Chillinois. It only costs $3 a month to support us. If you're not able to do that, no worries. Another great way to support us is to just rate us favorably on whichever platform you're listening from. Speaking of the Illinois Hemp Growers Association, back with me to back with me today is Chris Barry. Chris, thank you for coming back onto the show. Go ahead and uh, reintroduce yourself to folks that may have list, uh, missed your last episode um, or may not know you. Hey, thanks, Cole. Hey, everybody. My name is Chris Barry. Uh, I've been working with the Illinois Hemp Growers Association as the chief of operations for about five years now. Um, we're coming up on our fifth year anniversary. Uh, which will be at the end of August. Uh, and we have a membership meeting tonight. Uh, that's July 7th, 2023. Uh, and that'll be tonight. Um, so please join us if you can. Uh, and yeah, we've, um, as the Illinois Hemp Growers Association, uh, we've been focused solely on industrial hemp, uh, but we do dabble with the cannab cannabis uh, recreational and medical side as well, uh, sort of out of necessity. And so we've got a very broad awareness of, of the issues, um, not only uh, it, with agriculture and with the Department of Agriculture, but also, um, you know, just consumer issues and, um, you know, Illinois Department of Public Health and, and farmers markets, cottage food, uh, infusing, extracting, all of those great things. Um, we get involved with all of that stuff and I'm happy to be here today. So thank you again, Cole. Yeah, thank you. And really quick before we get into it, where can our listeners find you and, and support you online? Oh, and you can find us at IllinoisHGA.com. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I think a shameless plug for our last episode together. I believe I said it was episode 294. Yep. Episode 294. Definitely check it out because it includes a lot of events that you guys have coming up. Uh, Rachel joined us and told told us a lot of, about a lot of the things you have coming up, uh, but we also had a really uh, deep conversation, uh, almost a recap, I believe, if I'm thinking of the timing correctly. I think it was the day after or a few days after session had ended, so you were able to kind of give us a recap of what had transpired. For folks that hadn't checked out that episode, can you maybe give us just a high level and maybe that'll get us into our, our conversation today? Sure. Yeah. Um, so at the end of May, there was a lot of uh, last minute jockeying for regulation uh, on 
primarily uh, the focus was Delta eight. And so not Delta eight THCO, just regular old Delta eight THC. Um, And um, in, in the end, this, this was sort of shoehorned into uh, a cannabis omnibus uh, legislation, which is, you know, 99.9% or even a hundred percent concerned up until this point, uh, with strictly only the recreational and medical, uh, markets and, and, uh, every, everything that goes along with those. Um, and it, you know, no mention of industrial hemp, uh, was ever, uh, I- included in, in these, um, in this legal language that, that goes into these bills, uh, other than to just make a very clear distinction between cannabis and hemp, uh, and same thing on the hemp side, you know, uh, industrial hemp regulations typically do, do not mention cannabis whatsoever, except to say that industrial hemp is not cannabis. They just want to make that very, very clear. So in this, in this case, it, we started to see this sort of crossover. And I think, uh, you know, there's a, a number of reasons why uh, we're seeing that crossover. I think some of the discussions we had in the last episode were um, that you have uh, cannabis producers and, and dispensaries, et cetera, um, worried about their market share, uh, and having, uh, industrial hemp operators and, and retailers, uh, taking a piece of that market share. Um, and then you have sort of a public safety concerns, uh, over whether or not these Delta eight products are properly tested and labeled, um, j- just the same way that you would test and label your cannabis products for medical or recreational, uh, and, um, uh, just in general, uh, safety concerns over whether or not the process of creating Delta eight is, uh, you know, something that we should be pursuing as a society, uh, and who is interested in consuming cannabinoids, um, due to the way that it's produced. Um, and so we have with, with all of this sort of complicated weaving of, of issues, uh, uh, converging on this specific cannabinoid, which there are many more that you can get into with, with very similar issues. But this seems to be the one that when, when you talk about this issue, everyone goes, oh yeah, Delta eight. So we'll, we'll continue to refer to it that way. Um, so we have all these people uh, from both sides and uh, legislators uh, and uh, journalists and, and media people, uh, everyone sort of converging on this Delta eight issue. Uh, and doing the best they can to sort it out and create a solution that uh, everyone can live with. Uh, and that's sort of what we're in the middle of right now. And, and that's, I think, what we're going to be discussing is, you know, let's talk about perspectives. Let's talk about uh, the cannabis industry perspective. Let's talk about the hemp industry perspective. Let's, let's, let's have some comparisons to other products that are out there and other markets that are out there. Let's talk about the, the legal perspective, the, the legislative perspective, and just in general, the, the politics surrounding the issue. Uh, and then let's talk about what IHGA uh, wants to uh, see happen or what we would like to, to, think that uh, is you know the best middle path solution that that uh, is a compromise and not ideal but um, uh, that people can get behind uh, and uh, and and see where it goes you know as the IHGA we 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 like to influence um, we we attempt to uh, lobby and um, persuade 
legislators to see things our way, but ultimately it comes down to what they're, they're going to do what they think is best for their constituencies. Right. And so we, we put the message out both ways. We, we speak to our members, we tell them to speak to their friends and speak to the people on the consumer side. And we speak to the legislators on the, on the regulation side. And hopefully we all want the same thing ultimately, but there are, there's, a thousand ways to kill a horse and some are a lot more complicated than others. So we would like, we would like to see uh, a very simple solution to this. And I think overall, that's, that's the best way to explain it is we're, we're searching for simplicity here. We we're not trying to make this any more complex than it already is. And I think that's, that's a good place to kick it off. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as far as simplicity goes, if, if I recall correctly, uh, the idea of keeping it simple would be to simply raise the a the purchase age for these products to 21, even though, you know, there's nuance to that. If you're looking for the nuance that I'm referring to, check out episode 294. But if if the concern is that kids or underage, quote unquote, people are will be, you know, consuming these products and, and that's our concern, then, OK, let's, I guess, raise the purchasing age to 21. Um, let's implement uh, testing and labeling regulations. Um, and I think that's what we had decided. That's the simple approach last time. Would you agree that three-tiered approach? I think so, yeah. And um, one of the things I wanted to mention, and I had a I had an interview recently with um, WCBU out of Peoria, um, the public radio station. And I, we kind of got into this, uh, specifically about age verification, uh, and for inhalable products, I totally agree. I think anything that you're going to smoke or inhale, you know, that's current state law, right? If it's tobacco or, or anything, if you're, if you're burning it, combusting it, inhaling it, vaporizing it, whatever it's, it's state law. Uh, what, what I got into was, uh, for, for infused, for, uh, ingestible products, for things that are taken orally, uh, it, it, should there be age verification for this, uh, and, uh, under state law, like looking at it now, there isn't right. And should, should there be, well, most people would say, yes, it, it, they probably should be. Why? Because these products are intoxicating. So then I, my question is let's define intoxicating. How do we define intoxicating? How do we, how do we define whether or not this product impairs your ability to operate machinery or drive a car? Uh, and in, in that case, there is no clear, no clear definition. Right. So I think well, and I think I said the same thing in that interview was uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So if, if we are based on no concrete other than anecdotal evidence saying, uh, well, Delta eight makes me feel like some people will say it's weed light or T Delta nine light uh, that you do get a buzz or, or uh, a euphoric feeling from consuming Delta eight. Well, how do we how do we specifically measure that Delta eight uh, impairs your ability to operate machinery, which, you know, which, which for all in, intents and purposes is considered you're intoxicated now. Right. And and so we there really is no clear way to even say that uh, uh, Delta nine uh, is is um, 
impairs your ability to operate machinery, right? It's there's no there's no clear studies that have been done uh, to my knowledge. I'm I'm not a research scientist. Maybe there are, but um, this this has always been a big debate on the Delta Nine side as well. You can't breathalyze someone for being high, right? So how can you say right. that they they're high? Well, they smell like it. They look like it. They kind of act like it. But there's no measurable sort of limit as to like like with blood alcohol content it's very clear and there's a very clear legal limit with with this we're getting into a very difficult gray area right so even if you're even if you do age verification uh how how can you determine if someone's acutely intoxicated on delta 8 versus delta 9 or other uh, or any, yeah, any other attempt to enforce that. (laughs) Yeah. And attempt to enforce that. So with age verification, going back to the beginning with age verification, uh, I, I think ingestible products, like there's a good argument there to say that you shouldn't have to, uh, verify for age. If you want to do that, then you need to, you need to change the law at, instead of specifically legislating around Delta eight, you need to change that law for all hemp derived cannabinoids. So if, if you want to go down that path, that's, you know, all right, fine. We can compromise there. Um, but then going back to our uh, other conversation that we had in the last episode, um, let, you know, let's talk about other products that are widely available to children that could be considered intoxicating or mood altering in some way. And the, the example that I brought up was energy drinks, which I think is a great one, but there are, there's plenty of stuff that you can purchase at a gas station, uh, that will, significantly alter your ability to operate machinery and and you know a kid can go in and purchase an excessive amount of any of this especially caffeine uh and you know proceed to take a lethal dose if they wanted to uh and there's nothing no age verification there stopping them from doing that so i i think there there's an argument to be made for a a a a legislative change in that direction for age verification for uh, ingestible hemp derived cannabinoids. I think some people would say that's difficult, that that's difficult because we want to be able to give CBD and, and other, what we would consider non-intoxicating cannabinoids to, to children who need them for seizures or, or uh, acute conditions or chronic conditions. Uh, And uh, they should have access to that. And so it, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to get into this whole access to medicine thing. And, and we're talking about uh, a very specific niche of the hemp industry here. And, and sort of, that's what the cannabis industry has been focused on uh, exclusively. Uh, and so this is where we, we rely on some of that knowledge and expertise from the cannabis industry to come to the hemp side and, and, and give us a solution. Uh, but from what we've seen so far is most of what's coming over from the cannabis side is is increased complexity, increased taxes, increased licensing and and fines and and potential penalties uh, and and just uh, uh, and again, a weaving of the two industries into a single bit of legislation, which I think should be avoided uh, um, at all costs. So we, we don't want to mix the two together. I think the clear distinction between the two has been very, very helpful for the industrial hemp side. And I don't think, uh, I, even if there are proponents of this on the cannabis side, I don't think it would be good to start including hemp things with your cannabis things when it comes to legal language. 
Yeah, and this is why I brought you back on uh, credit to Illinois News Joint. They wrote an article on June 14th, that, that idea that you just brought up. And I do have another idea that actually really took, it really bloomed that we kind of talked about in the last podcast that really has, but I'll get to that. I wrote it down so that, that we'll return. But just on this topic of, of Delta 8 specifically, Illinois News Joint had a headline, Illinois lawmakers call for Delta 8 and hemp regulations. Uh, Jason Brown wrote this article. Um, so just really quick, Illinois state representatives, hemp advocates, and Delta 8 business owners today convened in the state of Illinois building to discuss their intentions to quickly bring together various uh, stakeholders to negotiate a comprehensive plan to, quote, safely and fairly regulate, end quote, the manufacture and sell of Delta 8 and other similar intoxicating hemp products in Illinois. After the 10.30 a.m. meeting, Illinois State Representatives Lakeisha Collins, LaShawn Ford, and Cyril Nichols, I'm sorry, representatives, if I butchered your names, um, announced they will invite fellow law lawmakers, impacted businesses, advocates, and other stakeholders to come together to develop a comprehensive plan for safe regulation of Delta-8 and other similar intoxicating hemp products in Illinois. They're calling for additional safety measures, including... And most of these are pretty much what we agreed to in our first episode, except for one. Raising the purchasing age to 21, testing and labeling regulations. Here's the two new ones that that I personally, one of them I just heard from Representative Ford in my interview. He said, hey, look, I'm a Democrat. We need a tax on that. I don't know what happened. Anyways, um, <laughs> he said we need a tax on that. Okay. Um, he This other bullet point, and this is what concerned me, and this is kind of what I asked him about. Um, when he said, can I, you know, I need a tax on that, I, I kind of asked, so does that mean places like Chitiva will remain open? Because I just saw he went to Chitiva, you know what I mean? And we just had them on the show just to use them as an example of a business that sells Delta 8, right? Not to play favorites or anything, but it's fresh in our minds. So um, I asked, would a place like that remain open because they are doing everything that we're talking about, the labeling, the testing, the age requirement? Would they be able to remain open? And he seemed to indicate they would. But when you when I read implement strict licensing, I get really worried. And you just touched on the point. Again, this is the reason I brought you on. It seems like they want to make it so that if you sell anything cannabis, in Illinois, you need to be doing that under the CRTA, which is a strict licensing regime, for lack of better words. Um, the, that's the, what the bill spells out, a very strict licensing structure. Um, yet, do you think that that's just inevitable? That this is what it's what they're what's going to happen? I mean, <clears throat> or, or that's what the push is going to be. I don't mean to say that that's what's going to happen, because, of course, you would prefer that it wouldn't go that way. Um, but, you know, just to kind of get to brass tacks, do you think that it's like that is the inevitability that that's what they're going to push for? Well, I th that's a, a great question. I think two points. First, I'll talk about the licensing, um, then the taxing. Uh, for the licensing, I think, you know, it, it, it could mean one or the other. It could mean, yes, we're attempting to bring all of this Delta 8 activity into uh, a strict CRTA type licensing scheme for retailers. 
it could mean that, or it could mean that uh, they're looking to, uh, and this is my understanding from the reading the legislation, uh, HB 4101, which is, a, it's a rough draft. It's, you know, it, it ended up not going anywhere, but uh, it gives you a good idea of what they're looking to do, I think, with licensing also. And, and that's creating some sort of separate retailer's license under the Industrial Hemp Act or within their cannabis bill like that or within a separate bill like like what this one shows that 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 amends the industrial hemp act um so they're looking to create some a third tier of license where you have uh, a growers or a cultivator's license you have a processor's license and now they're looking to add that third tier of licensing the retailer's license uh and and i think under that you could you could call you know the the penalties that they've sort of brought forward with that uh strict licensing right if you if you violate this your your first violation is a five thousand dollar fine etc etc that that may be where you're what we're getting at here when when we're talking about strict licensing you're not Um, getting the sense that there will be license caps because i that's one of the things i talked to david lakeman about that i thought was so cool he actually made my point he made my point even stronger when I asked him, I was like, can I just get a hemp license? He's like, Cole, if you would have applied for one this morning, you would be walking out with one this afternoon. I was like, damn. So do you think that is at all by chance going to be affected by this? I no. I, I mean, and unless you want to, it's going to be, I think it would be much more difficult to implement license caps on like people who can sell uh, Delta eight uh, in the state or hemp cannabinoids in the state. Like it's, it's, I think it stands contrary to uh, exactly what David was getting at there um, by telling you that this has always been that way. It's it people who couldn't get cannabis licenses have always fallen back to the hemp industry and said, Oh, all, all I have to do is just apply and, pay a thousand bucks and uh, I'm now I'm a processor and, and I, you know, I can process my own stuff. And if I own a storefront, I can sell it in that storefront. But you see like the, the reason I'm like focusing on that is like, that's the issue. Like when you listen to people like Ben Kovler or Charlie Cresco or Charlie Bactil is his real name. Um, the, they all talk about, they look for licenses and I'm actually collecting little clips of them saying this, they look for uh, markets where it's hard to start the business, it costs a lot, and uh, the market itself isn't competitive. The li- the the licensing application is because they're really good at you know with their lawyers and stuff writing a good application. So I'm worried that what you're describing and what's so great about Illinois's hemp industry and in most states, frankly, like most states, it seems like it's pretty open uh and easy to get a hemp license like you said if you it's a fallback plan for most cannabis operators but i'm worried that in illinois the state of limited licensing and the home of multi-state operators that what you're describing that is so great about the the hemp industry and maybe i'm just slippery slope coal here but like i feel like that's their problem you know what i mean again it's market share and if anybody can get a license, if if I can just apply this morning and walk out with one that this afternoon, that's a problem, you know, because innovation could happen. <laughs> I, I I think getting into that, I think ninety nine percent of people who look at this would say there's no way you can put a cap on these licenses. You're going to you will kill the the cultivation and processing side. 
if you do that. If you limit the number of retail locations, then you're limiting the the throughput that is in demand. Like basically, if you if you isolate the retailers, then whatever the re- whoever the retailers choose to buy from, that will be the only game in town. Right. It, and- will, it would significantly contract the entire industry. And I think, like I said, 99% of people would be strongly a- against that. And I, I don't think there's any reason for that. Uh, it, it, and we would be the only state that would even attempt something like that. Uh, to, to, to be attempting that, we would be the only state that, to my knowledge, that would even uh, be trialing something like that. I think every other state is the same way. It's, it's wide open. It's market forces. It's commodities. It's, you know, uh, every man for himself, figure out uh, where your profit is and, and how to make that profit. And uh, we're not going to help you, but all we're going to do is just say, you, here's your license, you know, get to work and, and uh, that's it. Yeah. And I like, and I feel hopeful. I will say just to be a little bit po- positive for a moment, I do feel hopeful after talking to representative Ford and reading a quote that I read in that article where he says, like, it seems like he, unless he's leading us astray, it seems like he's got his head uh, straight on this one with regard to this quote and this attitude he seems to have, which is, uh, quote, if we ban it the way cannabis was banned, then we're going to have a new crop of people that's going to be entered into our criminal justice system. Um, and uh, th- so that's in quote. Uh, Ford argued that ban- banning it while trying to decriminalize cannabis and reform the industry would be hypocritical. And one thing that he said on my show that I thought was very powerful was like, it's already out there. Haven't we learned the lesson that like regulation above board is the way to do these things. Like you can't just make it illegal and do a ban, like just to address one of the points he brought up where some people are like the way this is concocted and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, wherever you stand on Delta eight or these products, like just choose not to the, to consume them. If, if, if you feel weird about how they are produced share that information with people whatever but i guess the the question i ask you is have you not learned the lesson of prohibition right i'm talking to the listener right now that may feel feel that way it's it's impossible to regulate molecules like the drug the war on drugs was a failure so let's not continue to uh make the same mistakes that we've made in the past that's i just wanted to address that one point really quickly but i feel like he does and i feel a little hopeful with his attitude. I don't know if you saw my interview with him. Um, I haven't do you, seen it yet. Okay. Do you have the same hope though? Like were you included in some of these meetings that were, were uh, referred to in the Illinois news joint article that I uh, just read? Do you, do you feel hopeful that your concerns are, are heard? I, I worry that, you know, other voices are louder, you know? Oh, I, I, I mean, with, with Ford specifically, we have not had any like personal interaction with, with rep Ford. I do think that, you know, it's good to see that there's an open-minded approach there uh, and that there's a collaborative approach. Uh, again, like I said, at the, at the beginning, we, when we have reached out, um, we have not heard back. Uh, and so uh, we're happy to, to work alongside anyone who wants to create a, a, a good solution for the hemp industry for this issue. Um, and just uh, go ahead. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Just to be clear, though, have you been involved at all with these uh, any of these discussions that I'm like referring to or any discussions at all past what last time we spoke? Have it have policymakers involved you guys? 
uh, not specifically with rep Ford. No, um, we are working with a couple of reps, um, which are seem to be more interested in, in engaging with us specifically. Uh, we have submitted a couple of bills or just really one, one draft bill. That's just a very simple, um, looking to introduce that. And, um, we we're definitely working on getting into uh, more of the discussion as the um, the veto session approaches, right? We want to be in a good position to make sure that our position is well known. Um, and, you know, our interview with WCBU yes, uh, earlier this week uh, is part of that effort as well. Um, and again, this, this membership meeting that we're having tonight, again, part of that effort. Um, during this time, it's, it's difficult to get in front of people. Uh, when you, when, like you said, when other voices are potentially being louder, uh, I think it, uh, if you can be loud and, and you can be heard or you can, uh, you know, I guess, uh, there are many famous one-liners about opening your mouth and removing all doubt, but what, what I, I think we, we need to let more voices be heard than just ours like uh, as the ihga we represent a uh, a a core group that is not very large it's you know uh maybe 100 plus members and 20 or so businesses uh that uh, we all sort of we're a loose uh, collection we're a, we're a confederacy we're we're not a, a a single unit with a single voice uh, we do the best we can to represent what we think is the is the best way to represent all of that. Um, but if other people have strong opinions, they should definitely be in the arena. Uh, we we do not want to monopolize the discussion. However, if you want to, um, if you want to have that five plus years experience uh, as a a sounding board as 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 a group that can understand what you're saying and, and make good contributions and, and um, contribute to the discussion. Uh, we, we're always here. The IHJ is always here. So any, anyone who wants to reach out, if, if rep Ford wants to reach out, we have, um, Oh, what was her name? What I'm going to ask Rachel. Hold on. <laughs> what was that rep's name? The one that we sent the bill to. Oh, Laddish. Yeah. Rep Laddish is the last name that that's okay. the one we sent the bill to. And then on the, that's in the house side. And then on the Senate side, uh, it was, uh, Stoller. Okay. We did, we didn't send it to Stoller, but we did have a conversation with Stoller about, um, this whole thing. And then we have our, our local or our actual like district rep that for the district we live in, um, Ryan price is his name. Spain, not price. Ryan Spain. We have Ryan Spain, who's part of like the JCAR committee. Uh, and we've been sort of going back and forth with him, you know, seeing what he has to say about it, letting him know what we're hearing uh, based on this, this, these discussions that we're referencing, you know, that have been ongoing mostly with, uh, you know, businesses, cannabinoid businesses out of Chicago and, and the reps surrounding Chicago and the Chicagoland area. Uh, and I think that's another key piece that the IHGA sort of brings to the table uh, about this is we, we definitely represent more of the agricultural side. Uh, and, and 
how how these very uh, these very specific bills with with uh, lots of legal complexities in them might be affecting your uh, your average farmer who may be interested in hemp at some point. Uh, and I think that that definitely is has always been a, a good folk or a, a large part of the focus of this industrial hemp um, regulatory scheme that we have going on uh, is it's it's always been sort of farmer focused uh, and and we're right there um, uh, trying to represent the best interests of of this whole collective like we we sit in a very interesting uh, intersection between um, cannabinoid pr- producers and and purveyors in in uh, urban areas and and then farmers with a thousand acres who potentially might want to plant out a hundred uh, to to industrial hemp fiber this year uh, and for us all to work under the same rules right now we're, we've got a good balance uh, and and that kind of leads me to what I was going to say about going back to what Rep Ford was saying about taxing right? To, to loop all the way back uh, to that article. Uh, when he was talking about taxing, uh, for him to say, well, I'm a Democrat, we need to have taxes. Uh, I, I think that that just kind of shows like your lack of experience with the issue and, and your lack of understanding of the current industrial hemp regulations. Because uh, if in that act, they created the industrial hemp regulatory fund that fund is specifically created for the purpose of administration and enforcement. So if you want to increase the fees for an application or for uh, the licensing process for a license, because it's a hundred dollar fee for the application and it's a $375 one year fee for the actual license. Uh, And that's, that's the lowest cost you can get in at. That would be as a grower. Uh, or uh, cultivator, uh, you it would cost you four hundred and seventy five dollars out of pocket. That's it. You're done dealing with the Department of Agriculture uh, once you're approved and you have paid that money. Now the only thing you have to do after that is just get a get a uh, pre harvest compliance test and and you're done. That's out of pocket expenses for administration slash enforcement. You're you're well under a thousand dollars by the end of the season. Uh, and if you if you want to increase that number. Uh, and, and say, well, this this is why we need to increase it. We're we're uh, creating a task force that will go around and um, uh, go go randomly do uh, spot checks in businesses to say, do you have a COA for this Delta A product? Who's the manufacturer? Uh, where's the QR code, etc. If, if you are going to create a, a an enforcement body to do that, well, great. The Industrial Hemp Regulatory Fund already exists for you to use for the purposes of administration and enforcement of the Industrial Hemp Act. So if if you want to increase that, please offer a justification for that. I, I would hate to see an, a tax increase with no, you know, taxation without representation essentially is what I'm getting at here, right? You want to throw a tax on it. What, what do we get out of this? What are we getting out of this? I think you're on mute, Cole. Oh, I was just saying, right. Okay. Uh, I was just agreeing with you. I was saying, preach, brother. Uh, continue. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so a- anyway, that's that's where I would like to, you know, it, it, at any point, anybody who shares that opinion with with Rep Ford, please reach out. Let's talk about the uh, inner workings of the Industrial Hemp Act and how how it's very simple but very effective 
And I think that's, that's the way we go forward with the hemp industry is we, we can't get into this 600 or thousand page cannabis legislation territory. We need to keep it simple. need to keep it farmer focused. Uh, if you want to start regulating the retail side of things, you know, we can get into that, but obviously let's not create any special carve outs for this. Let's, let's follow the current state law and the current scheme that, that regulates all consumer products that you can purchase, uh, you know, widely available at any retail shop. Yeah. Yeah. And I think leading with, you know, you didn't say it this way, but this is like the way I've been thinking about it is like, don't criminalize the farmer, you know, like I'm standing in the middle of a field right now. Like if I told this dude, like whatever he's growing, which is like, you know, corn, beans, whatever, like, it, like it just wouldn't stand for it. Right. Like you can't do this anymore. Like get the hell out of here, bro. My family has been doing it for years. So again, not to get too long winded about it. I think the way that you're approaching this uh, is just solid. You know, it's like we are this agriculture, this agricultural state, you know, that, that pats themselves on the back about how great our soil is and, you know, how good, how great we are at growing crops. Meanwhile, we're like tiptoeing around criminalizing a, a crop that grows here naturally, dude. Like growing up, uh, there was this road and I'm sure there's one in every community, but we called it the green mile because hemp still grows there to this day from back in the day when, you know, the hemp for victory days. I'm sure again, there's one in every town. I doubt my town was the only one with a road named the green mile, but um, just for folks, I had said this was episode 303 earlier, possibly no episode 303 is with LaShawn Ford. So if you want to hear that right now, at least June 7th, that's available exclusively on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Chillinois. I also asked Representative Bob Morgan about this subject. He seems to be, uh, let's regulate this, let's regulate this type of guy. And uh, we've talked about Representative Bob Morgan and, uh, you know, like who finances his campaign, frankly, in the past. So his attitudes surrounding the subject aren't entirely uh, surprising for me. But if you'd like to hear them, uh, his his opinions on these subjects, check out episode number 296. We just had Representative Bob Morgan on talking about this subject and more. Um, that's also available exclusively on our Patreon, at least today. Um, so I just wanted to thank you for coming on. Is there any bases we didn't cover today? And, and I guess I wanted to also ask what, you, you know, I mean, we've kind of covered what the approach is going forward you know, keep it simple. It's all, it's all written out in the, the hemp act. We don't need to change much, but I just did want to give you the space um, before I closed out with a topic about THCA, which is what we discussed last time. And it, it kind of an interesting development in my opinion on this, uh, not necessarily Illinois related, but I love to get your opinions on these things. But again, giving you the space on this topic, anything else you wanted to mention, anything our listeners can do to, help support the cause because again I'm, I'm down with it you know the farmer it's, you know let's not criminalize the farmer here's your space <laughs> thank you yeah um i'd love to talk about thda also um but i think yeah just to close out on that like let's let's stick to the root of the issue what's what's the concern here and how do we simply 
resolve those concerns to a state that is agreeable with a majority of people. Uh, anything beyond that, and like you said, now we're getting into criminalization territory again, and it it seems unnecessary. And and maybe the only people that that would benefit would be your you know your your Bens or your or your GTIs or your Crescos. Um, so that's that's I'll that's I'll leave that at that. If you want, if you want, again, any rep or anyone hearing this that that is involved in the discussions, please reach out to us and we'll we'll give it to you straight. We'll give you exactly what our perspective is. Maybe maybe there's someone out there with uh with more more perspective, with a deeper perspective that has the 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 machinations of legislation and and regulation surrounding these issues. They're, they're a, a much more deeply involved expert than than myself or or Rachel. Um, love to, would love to meet them. <laughs> uh, please please reach out if if you feel like we're we're badly misguided. Uh, uh, happy to learn from you. Uh, so I'm not coming at this as an authority. I'm coming at this as a stakeholder, just like everybody else. Uh, and that's, that's what, you know, uh, as IHGA, we, 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 we try to give that voice uh, a, a reasonable voice to people who, who just don't have the time or don't have the uh, attention span to be able to get deeply into these issues this way. And, and so anyway, Come to our meeting if you get a chance. Sign up on our website, IllinoisHGA.com. You can become a, a dues-paying member for two bucks a month, uh, and you know just uh, follow along with us and and feel free to engage with us on this at any time. Uh, and and now going into that THCA thing, right? This is what we got into at the end of the interview with WCBU also. And I I think last time we talked, I said you know with the Delta Eight business, you're probably okay continue to run your Delta eight business. But if you're starting a business, that's like, you know, Bob's THCA hemp flower, like you're, you've got something there that like, you're very much in a gray area. I think like with the way that it, the only reasonable explanation I've seen of like how to achieve high percentage THCA flower is like, it looks like a straight up loophole. It looks like you, what you're doing is you're, you're hoping that the the agent who's sampling your crop is you're, you're sampling it as early as you possibly can within the, uh, the harvest window. Right. So like, uh, I think the window is 30 days, right? So you have to get your stuff sampled within 30 days. And, and on top of that, uh, I think this is, we're talking about USDA final rules now on hemp production. Uh, when, when that date, like if you schedule a harvest date for October 30th, you have to have your stuff tested no sooner than the last day of September. But you can also, you can also vary within five days, I think is what it says. If your harvest date goes five days beyond what you told them you would have, then you have to do another sampling. So this depends on nailing that 35 day window. You, you are stretching it to the absolute last day. You're having someone come in 35 days before you harvest and hopefully testing the most anemic and poor looking plants that you have. 
and and getting a favorable compliance test at that, hoping that the plants, you know, we're talking about five weeks of flowering, right? So if you come in and test my plants on week five and I let them flower till week 10, there's going to be a big difference in THCA content between those two tests, right? So if I'm a farmer and I'm growing THCA flower, I'm saying this is compliant hemp and I'm testing at week five, you probably are. You're probably compliant. Your, your total THCA in that plant is probably compliant. Five weeks later, after you flowered to week 10, and now you've done like the perfect cure and dry and everything's all nice and in the jar. Now your THCA, your total THC could be 15, 20%. And, and technically that's legally compliant hemp. Now, when you, when you take that same product out of the jar and run a a COA on it, it's obviously going to test like super, super hot. But if all you do, if all you ever do is present the compliant COA that, that came with that harvest, you, that's all that's actually legally required to go to commerce. So like, that's, that's why I'm saying it's a gray area. It's a loophole because if you test that product off the shelf, there's no difference between the THCA flower and just straight up recreational cannabis or medical cannabis. It's the same, it's the same ratios you find in, in recreational or medical cannabis. It's very low on the Delta eight or Delta nine, very low on the Delta nine, and then very high in the THCA. Yeah, and that's what I thought. If you see me shuffling around over here, by the way, it's because I looked down and literally like three ticks had uh, started to embed themselves in my legs. Must be that time of year. So I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. But anyways, um, the the powerful case, this is uh, Chilinoy in nature. Uh, the powerful, the most powerful case I felt that that you just ended on and, and that uh, my friend Philip made in our last conversation was that most of the flower that can be found within dispensaries could hypothetically be sold as THCA flower, which is crazy that they are putting up a huge, you know, stink about Delta eight and kind of, you know, under the guise of wanting to control it. Meanwhile, um, you know, a lot of companies are practicing it. And the thing that I was alluding to that I thought was interesting, the most recent development that I saw was cookies a company, you know, known in the legal cannabis space is leaning into, I'm looking at their website right now. You can purchase THCA flour, pre-rolls, vapes, and concentrates, chocolates, hard candies, gummies, all this stuff online. Um, The age verification is just clicking. Yes, I'm 21. Uh, Maybe there's something else. I don't want to say that because some vape stores and, and, you know, online retailers have something where you upload, upload your ID. Maybe there's something else. But you can buy flour here. I'm showing you folks, you can buy flour. Now, interestingly, it only, and I and I think I figured this out, it's only available for shipping in I think 13 states or this this number of states. You can see Alabama through Wyoming. Notably, Illinois is not on that list. Um, I think I figured it out just through conversations with other folks. The states you don't find this in are states that Cookies is active in, right? So they're not trying to compete with their own flour that's in the dispensary. So it's it's interesting. They kind of are structuring it to, to avoid like, oh, shit, we don't want to fuck with our own market share in those states. You know, so like I said, I, I kind of wanted to bring that topic back up because it's very interesting to see a big company that is known in the legal cannabis space lean into THCA 
um, but also kind of like avoid it in the states that they're active in. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just wanted to give you the space for your comment or thoughts, if any, on that. Um, yeah, first one that comes to mind. I mean, it, I think it's perfect illustration or a perfect example of the creativity and ingenuity of this industry. Ooh, eh. And this goes for many industries, not just this one. I think this is all cutting edge industries, right? The pace and, and the FDA is actually quoted as saying this, the pace of the development of the cannabinoid product market is so fast that there is no hope for legislators or regulations to keep up with it. And, and that's where we're at. So again, you know, let's, let's talk about the root concerns, the root safety issues if any let's get to those let's address those in the simplest way possible and let's not let's not try to throttle what's happening here like there's no going back the like you said the war on drugs is not the answer to treat this in the same way is not the answer uh let's let's allow innovation ingenuity let's allow competition unlimited licensing it, the only people that are in the favor of limited licensing are the ones that are profiting off of it right now. Everybody else is saying, why, what's the point? A protected market is ridiculous. Yeah. You need some bare minimum standard of quality and safety, but other than that, anything, anything beyond that, it seems like it's pretty obvious that you're, you're being driven by uh, a desire to generate more money is really all it is. And, and that hurts the consumer that in the end, yeah, you, you know, the, the industry is more profitable. Maybe uh, if, if that's the case, you have higher profit margins for the operators within the industry, but accessibility gets hurt. Consumers get hurt through higher prices uh, that are unnecessarily high. Uh, and again, this is, like you said, it, it still grows all along the highways. You can try to burn it down and then throw pesticides on it and whatever you want it we can grow this stuff uh, uh, with a lower cost of production and, and we're hurting producers by throwing all this unnecessary complexity on top of all of it and driving up costs for them as well. There's, there's so much additional cost. Like we're, all we're doing is putting seeds in the ground. And, and when it comes time, uh, 120 days later, we're chopping it down, we're hanging it up and we're, we're getting it out the door. Like that, that production scheme is not new that's goes back to the history of uh, uh, the beginning of agriculture uh, to have all this additional cost on top of that is it, it's, it's, it's just too much. It, and, and that's why we don't see uh, a broader adoption of, of hemp production because it's just for most, for most of the people who might be interested in it, they, they learn about all this, all this complexity and they just say, I'm not interested. I, I just can't. It's too risky. Uh, it's too expensive. Uh, there's no guarantees. I can't even get insurance on this stuff most of the time. Uh, I don't have commodity prices. Where's my contract? Like, there's none of that stuff because it's just it's already too complex. Like, that's additional complexity that helps the market develop and and helps secure additional production. What we're looking at now by by playing with the, all this stuff and 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 getting deep into legal language about this stuff uh, is. I think it's, it's, you're missing the point. You're missing the point on that. And, uh, uh, I think I'll just, I'll leave it right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good place to end. Well, um, you know, uh, 
we're a little bit we we definitely went shorter than we usually go today being on the road i wanted to just make sure to if, if there was anything else you wanted to mention before we go uh to give you the space to do that no, nothing else. Just, um, you know, continue to support your Illinois hemp growers, find the, find the products that are produced by people who grow your stuff and, and sell this stuff locally and feed into this, you know, state economy. There's no, really, we produce enough of it and of, of good enough stuff, you know, from the very Northern border of the state with Wisconsin, all the way down South past, past SIU and down, you know, into Carbondale and Kentucky and, uh, anywhere in the state, you can find great homegrown, uh, uh, locally produced and processed uh, uh, hemp products that can satisfy all of your your um, demands for whatever you're looking for out of a, a, a product that contains cannabinoids or otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually another thought that I had um, that I totally neglected to to bring up. We, we should we should another reason we should be hesitant to add unnecessary rules and regulations this isn't something maybe we've talked about is because we have great schools like SIU and the University of Illinois looking into this stuff and and the reason they've done it is because it's so easy to as a school do this and it's so clear as a state let's keep it clear let's keep it simple let's allow the research to happen like what better way to learn about these things than to allow our great universities uh to continue to study them uninhibited again i just feel like that's a piece that i just thought of you know you brought up siu and i thought about their cannabis science center and how you know they're kind of thriving because of the looseness uh and i don't mean to say looseness but frankly you know the the ease of access to the hemp to, to what you need to do to grow hemp sorry i'm being long-winded well chris um i always enjoy my time with you um, I want to thank you uh, again for joining us and uh, we'll definitely talk here in the future. Keep me posted on any developments. You know, if there's something you want to come on to talk about before I reach out to you, don't hesitate to reach out. So. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yep. Cool. And maybe I'll see you tonight at the uh, meeting if I'm off the road by then. So folks. I hope you found value in this episode, Chris. Uh, were you about to say something? Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you've got to go uh, take take care of those tick bites now. That's right. That's right. Make sure <laughs> I just say re rest in peace, Cole, if I don't see you again. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't go to that. All right. Well, folks, we'll see you in the next one. Take care.